Galatians 2, I'll just read verse 20. Paul is writing here and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then over to Hebrews. We start out in Hebrews chapter 3 with verse 12. We'll read down to chapter 4, verse 2, and then skip over to chapter 6. The writer, we don't know who exactly it was. Many think it was Apollos. Um, The writer says this. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And then we go over to chapter 6. We'll pick up with verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. One of the things that I see so much uh, in life and ministry, and I've seen this over the, the last 30 years, are people who become really, really disappointed with God because life doesn't work out like they thought it was going to work out. Uh, People who become really disappointed with God because they feel like God has promised them something, but then what they feel like God has promised them doesn't come to pass. And sometimes the reason that happens is that we, the things we think God is promising us are not things that God has actually promised us. You know, Some people are disappointed because life's not easy, but God never promised us an easy life. You know, some people get disappointed because they don't have a spouse or they don't have children, but God never promised us either of those things. Uh, Some people are disappointed because they don't get the promotion at at their job, uh, but God may not have promised us that kind of thing. And so 
there are a lot of times when people believe promises, quote unquote, that are not really promises, but are no more than wishful thinking. However, at the same time, I believe there are a lot of things that God does promise us that we don't receive. I think there are a lot of things that God has spoken to us, sometimes uh, prophetically, like through the voice of a prophetic person who speaks, and, and what they speak really are God, and sometimes through the Bible, the primary place of promises, uh, there are some things that God does promise us that we don't receive. And our temptation is to blame God in that moment, but actually, when we look at it, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, these promises that have been spoken over our lives, the reason we haven't received them is because of something going on in us, not something going on in God. Now please understand, there are a number of promises of the scripture that will not be fulfilled for us until we stand face to face with Jesus. There are a lot of promises of the scripture that will not be fulfilled uh, on this side of the return of Jesus Christ, but will be fulfilled into the millennium. Now, promises say in the Old Testament where it talks about the wolf lying down with the lamb. For example, we haven't really seen that yet. And we won't see that until Jesus comes again, and probably at some point in his thousand-year reign on the earth, we'll begin to see these kinds of things manifested. So every promise spoken by God in the Word will be fulfilled ultimately, and many of these promises were not designed to be fulfilled for us this side of eternity. At the same time, what about those promises that were? What about those promises that maybe we've received but somehow we've not walked into. Now you might think that somehow that's kind of strange and somehow maybe that says that something God's a bit capricious or you can't really trust him. But think about the Old Testament. Think about the, the Hebrews going out of Egypt. When the Hebrews went out of Egypt, there was a promise that they would enter into the promised land. They were given that promise, and they all left with Moses on the basis of we can get, away, get free from our slavery, and we can move into this promised land. And yet, when they got to the edge of the promised land, and the doors were open to the promised land, they didn't go in. And so there was a whole generation of people to whom uh, the promise had been given that God had a promised land for them, that they never entered the promised land. They died before the people of Israel crossed the promised land. We can't blame God for that. So we see even in Scripture that there are times when promises are given that people don't go into those promises. And so the, the key issue for us then is what can we do? How do we cooperate with the Lord to ensure that we embrace every promise that God has genuinely made for us and to help ensure that perhaps we don't miss any of the promises of God over our lives? Because I've seen this time after time. I've seen God speak over uh, someone's life a destiny and a promise, and then it starts getting difficult, and they quit, or they back away. 
and the destiny is never fulfilled. And some of these people, they go on and they become embittered and they fall away from God, they fall away from the church, and they blame God and they blame God's people for the fact that they never, that they never experienced this destiny, and yet it wasn't God's fault, it wasn't the church's fault. So how do we become that people? What do we need to do? How do we embrace all of this so that we receive the promises of God? Well, it's through the word faith. It's through the word faith. And we've been talking about faith. Remember our definition. Faith is, a Christian faith is choosing to trust and to act often beyond our natural ability based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways. That's why so many times people don't receive a promise because they don't have a real knowledge of God and God's ways, based on a true knowledge of God's ways, founded in relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's faith for us, uh, and, uh, and this whole time we've been talking about how do we walk by faith? How do we walk by faith? And from the text today, I want to suggest three things that enable us if you will, to embrace the promises of God over our lives and walk in such a way that we see the promises fulfilled. Uh, now, I want to be very clear here. What we're not talking about is some kind of uh, positive thinking type dynamic. We're not talking about uh, what's sometimes called a, a name it and claim it kind of dynamic. There is no way that that by exercising our faith, we force God to do anything. But it's as we relate to God in faith, as we have that relationship with our Father through Jesus Christ the Son, who died on the cross, rose from the dead, so that we have life as we surrender to him, through the Holy Spirit who fills us up, as we are in relationship with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, walking by faith, there's something about the dynamic of faith that puts us in a position where we receive the fulfillment of God's promises over our lives. We don't make God do it. We don't give God demands. There's no guarantee that God is going to act, but we go before God with a trust in God's goodness and a, a choice to take action based on who we know God to be in his goodness and in his faithfulness. So faith is always a relational dynamic here. But it's very important that we understand these issues that are brought up in the scripture today. The first thing is that if we want to walk by faith so that we are receiving God's promises over our lives, we need to come to God in a sense like the Apostle Paul did in Galatians 2.20. Notice what he says the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This means that if we want to be in this kind of relationship with God where we're receiving the promises of God by faith, then we need to live our lives by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. The truth is, for a lot of people who claim to be Christians, they're Christians on Sunday, but on Monday, they don't even think about God. On Monday, God is someplace else. But what Paul is saying here 
is that the entirety of his life was oriented to faith in Jesus Christ. He understood that his life every single day, whether he was making tents, whether he was preaching in the marketplace, whether he was in somebody's home, or whether he was in the synagogue, that that whole dynamic was being, he was living by faith in the Son of God. And so the orientation of our lives has to be by faith, living by faith in the Son of God, walking by faith in the Son of God. If Jesus isn't the center and the focus of our faith isn't in Jesus Christ, if we're not coming to God through Jesus Christ, we cannot expect that God's promises will be fulfilled in our lives. It's a bit like if I said to Karen, oh, Karen, I'm going to be really married to you on Saturdays, but, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, we're not really married all that much. Okay, I'll have in the back of my mind that we're married, but I want to see other women. Uh, I want to go out with my friends and get drunk and do all these other things. Uh, I want to live in a... How, How well do you think that would go over? It won't, and obviously it's utterly ridiculous because I'd never do that. Uh, you know, my, the prayer of my life, you know, is I would, God would kill me rather than I be unfaithful to my wife. Uh, and that's a serious prayer, by the way. Uh, but you can see, but a lot of people, they live their lives that way. Jesus is a Sunday thing. Jesus is a, a pray over, uh, over our dinner thing. But Jesus is not the person by whom we live or, are living our lives. And that's a key orientation. But we can be living our lives that way and still sometimes not receive the promise. What happened? That's where now the writer to the Hebrews is getting in, and he goes back to the illustration we used about the uh, the Hebrews wandering in the wilderness and why they didn't go into the promised land. And there's a lot of ways to look at the text, uh, text that we read today. But I want to pick out uh, just a couple of things out of that text. And in, in some respects, most of the time, I, I don't, I'm not a really big fan of the New International Version, but I like how the New International Version translates uh, chapter 4, verse 2. It says, For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. In this case, the writer is talking about a faith leading to salvation and to those that should have gone into the promised land. But the principle is here, is that when we hear a word from the Lord, the word must be united with faith in us. There must be a dynamic inside of us when the word that we hear is united by a choice to uh, trust and believe, to to trust and obey, to trust and do, to act based on what God has said. If the word is not united by faith in us, oftentimes the word will not be fulfilled in us. In other words, we have to choose to believe what God has said and act on the basis of what God has said. So if you believe, for example, that God's promised you a job, maybe you pray and say, oh God, I need a job, please give me a job. And you pray that, and you pray that, and you pray every single day. And then one day, 
God speaks to you. And he says, listen, would you look in the one ads? Would you look online? Because we're praying for a job, but we don't do anything to get a job. You see see how that works? So if God has said that he wants to give you a job, that doesn't mean that you can sit by passively and suddenly it's going to happen to you. If God's spoken it into your life, that means that what you do is you choose to trust what God has said and then you choose to act on the basis of what God has said. So if God said he's going to give you a job, then you go on, you go online, you go to premier jobs, you go everywhere you can to look at one ads to see what God might be saying. So you step forward in belief. It doesn't come to you passively. You have to unite faith with the word that's living inside of you. When I started writing the book Freed to Lead, The Lord spoke to me and said, Rod, I want you to do this. I want you to put your research together. You're going to write a book about this. You're going to do a course about this. And I had no idea what was going to happen. I had no idea that I'd have a book end up being published by Monarch and a course being used by Freedom in Christ. Uh, And it's, it's still stunning to me. It's still surprising to me. But if I would have never sat down in August 2010 with all of my research and started bringing it together in the very long-term uh, struggle process of bringing that into reality, the fulfillment of the, what God said would never have happened. So we have to unite the word with faith in our lives. We have to be living with that Jesus orientation, living our lives by faith in the Son of God. But then we have to unite that word with faith in our hearts. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of things that prevent this from happening, and we need to be on the, on the guard for this. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews just mentions three, but there's probably more. First of all, he says that we can have an evil, unbelieving heart that leads us to fall away. We can have an evil, unbelieving heart that leads us to fall away. What he's talking about is that sometimes we hear the word, but we think, oh, that can't possibly be true. I, I, I just really, I really don't think that that can happen. I really don't think that that's true. I'm really not sure that that's what's going to go on. And we're always questioning it. We're always challenging it. And then what ends up happening is we just start to go our own way. We fall away from what God has said. We fall away from the word that the Lord, uh, the word that the Lord has spoken in our lives. That's an evil, unbelieving heart. It's a heart that does not have faith. It has anti-faith. He also tells us that we can sometimes not unite the word with faith because of the. because we are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If you choose to persist in sin, and you know it's sin, and you choose to persist in it, your heart will be hardened, and you will become deceived, and you will be incapable of uniting the word with faith. By the way, that's one of the reasons why we need one another, because I need people to help me see my sin, and you need people to help you see your sin. Uh, if, you, if you get married, that's one of the reasons why God puts you in marriage. Because when you're married to somebody, the other person can you see your sin very, very clearly. 
And so instead of resisting it when they point it out, maybe we should cooperate a little bit more and pay attention to it because the truth is, if we persist in any sin, ultimately our hearts will be hardened because of it. So we must be living in repentance. We must be dealing with sin immediately. None of us are going to be perfect. We're all going to sin, but as soon as you sin, you repent, you turn away, and God forgives you and cleanses you. The writer also tells us that sometimes we can have an unbelieving, uh, have unbelief in our lives that will lead us to rebellion and disobedience. So the, the unbelieving, the evil unbelieving heart is the one that says, oh, I'm really not sure this could happen. Uh, I don't know about this. You know, they're asking all the questions and they're not really pursuing it. Uh, the heart hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, they just persist in sin, even in spite of what God has said. Uh, but there's also an unbelief that says, well, okay, God spoke in this word, but now I can do whatever I want to do. I don't have to obey. I don't have to follow. I don't have to do what God's commanded me. And that's rebellion and disobedience. And rebellion and disobedience always present, prevents the fulfillment of God's word in your life. So we have to be dealing with these things and making sure as God has spoken promises over our lives, if you read the promise in the Bible and you say, okay, I'm going to take that promise for my life, or maybe God's spoken to you in your heart through prayer, or God's spoken to you prophetically, you have to take that promise, take that word, unite it with faith to say, okay, I'm going to choose to believe this, and I'm going to act on the basis that God has spoken this into my life, as I'm living my life in relationship with Jesus Christ. But you have to make sure that you're not falling away. You have to make sure that you're not persisting in sin. And you have to make sure that you're choosing to be obedient to the Lord because disobedience will always disqualify you from fulfilling the word. And if you don't believe that, look at the life of Moses. Moses couldn't go into the promised land because of such disobedience. And this is the guy who spoke face to face with God as a man speaks with his friend. So the first thing, if God's spoken in our lives, we need to be living our life by faith in, in the Son of God. The second thing then is we must be uniting the word with faith in our hearts, choosing to believe it, choosing to trust in it, choosing to act on the basis of it. And by the way, that's always costly and it's never easy. And the third thing is we need to unite faith with patience in order to inherit God's promises. That's the point that the writer's making there in chapter 6. So we have to unite faith with the word, but also that faith with the word with patience in order to inherit the promise. This means that almost never does a promise of God spoken in your life, either prophetically through prayer or in the word, almost never does it happen instantly. I knew when I started going back to Free to Lead, when I was starting to write Free to Lead back in 2010, uh, I had no idea that it was going to take me five years to develop the course, write the book, and then... Uh, another year or so to get everything published and to get all the DVDs made and things like that. And now it's you know almost four years later, three years later, and it's still being rolled out in some respects uh, across the world in God's kingdom. So for me, it's something that was done in a sense, 
a few years ago, but the promise that God spoke over it is still being fulfilled. And this is a process that has taken eight years. And then people say, sometimes people ask me, they say, well, how long did it take you to write the book? And I say, well, about 30 years. Because it wasn't just the process of eight years, it was actually the beatings, I mean, the, the, the loving experiences that I went through in the previous 20 years plus that got me to the place of being ready to live in the fulfillment of it, to receive it. Let me tell you, that requires patience. Now, by the way, don't ever pray for patience. Because no, the Bible says, in the, if you know the, the old King James, it says in Romans that tribulation works patience. So if you ask for patience, you're asking for trouble. You know? So I just tell you, don't ask for patience, but you need to have patience. And so I like to get patience by osmosis. You know? I like to get patience that comes from other people's troubles. That's why I like to have friends like Steve and Marianne that come and they share with the stuff that they've gone through in their life. And I'm thinking, oh God, thank you for that example of patience that I can learn patience from their example and not from my own experience. You know, that, that's a good kind of thing. But we always have to unite faith with patience if we're to see the word fulfilled. It will always take longer than you want it to take and it will always take longer than you think it's going to take to walk in the fulfillment of God's word in your life. Almost always. It's exceptions, and I think the exceptions, uh, they kind of prove the rule. Uh, they don't make the rule. But it always takes longer. It always takes longer. And so we have to unite our faith with patience and with the word. Now, how do we do that? Well, he gives us some encouragement there. You know, he talks about how we feel sure of better things coming. So we need to have a perspective in this life that good stuff is still ahead. One of the saddest things that I see, and, and a lot of people as they get older, they start thinking, well, my best years are behind me. But you know, if you're a Christian, your best years are always to come. Now the best years are when we see Jesus. So our best years are always in the future. I don't look at my life and say the best years are behind me. You know, when I was a teenager, and those of you who are young here, you need to take this attitude. When I was a teenager, I worked this out. It didn't take a lot. I was about 16 years old. And I sat down, and I, and I looked at what year it would be when I turned 30, and what year it would be when I turned 40 and 50, and these kind of things. But I also looked at Getting old. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you don't want to get old. I was surrounded by older adults. Oh, you don't want to get old. I'm old. You don't want to get old. And, and so I'm thinking, okay, wait. And so I, I was looking at this as a teenager. I, said, oh, I, I figured it out. I said, okay, I got two options. Get old or die. And at that moment as a teenager, I said, I'm going to get old. I would rather get old than die. For, to me, for me to live as Christ. To die is gain, but I want to live for Christ. You know, just like we sang in the song, I live for Jesus, and I want to do that. And so I don't mind getting old. There's some things I don't like about it, but there's other things that are pretty cool. Like I can look and see all the people making the same mistakes I made and laugh. You know, it's, it's fun. It's one of the reasons why I like to do Youth Connect and stuff. You know, I don't, no, I don't like to see them make mistakes. I try to help them not make mistakes, but that's another story. 
Uh, so you have a choice. You get older, you die. And we have to live with an expectation of better things still to come. To my dying day, I will expect better things. To my dying day, I'm going to think God still has stuff for me to do. To my dying day, I'm going to believe that God is going to use me to change the world. And it might just be on my dying day that I fulfill my greatest call. I don't know. But we have to have that, that confidence. We also have to have, according to the writer here, confidence in the character of God. Particularly that God will not overlook our good work, especially as we have helped to serve the saints. Now, a lot of times, it, it's very tempting to look and say, ah, oh, man, nobody really appreciates what I'm doing, especially in the church. Uh, I felt this way, and probably every Christian I've ever met who's had any length of time in the church has felt this way, where, where they, they think nobody appreciates it. I'm serving, I'm doing a lot of things. I mean, Nathan is one of my heroes right now. Uh, you know, I have lots of heroes in the church. Uh, I've celebrated uh, Cliff's hero heroism, and, and he was heroic this last week in trying to start working on these lights here in the sanctuary so they work a little bit better. And, and Nathan, he's been serving us by going through the archives and starting doing the slow, laborious process of sorting through them all and cataloging them so that we have a real understanding of what we have in our archives. Now, talk about a thankless, lonely job, but he's taking it up. And you, it's very easy to be in that situation. Say, oh man, nobody appreciates what I'm doing. No, nobody sees me. Uh, you know, I'm serving people. I'm helping out. And nobody even gives me thanks. But the writer says, God sees you. Who do you really need to give thanks? Give you thanks. I would rather have God thank me for my service than a million people thank me for my service. And that's what the writer says, we have to have confidence in God's character, that God actually sees what we're doing, that God actually approves of us, and that God is good and that he intends good things for us. And, he says, we do have to have that earnestness to have that full hope all the way to the end. The realization, I think he's saying here, that in our life, the promises over our lives will never be completely fulfilled in this life. There's always an eternal dynamic to the promises of God that have been spoken over our lives. Always an eternal dynamic. And I believe that God wants us all to experience the fulfillment of all the promises that he has spoken over our lives. I have confidence he's going to do that in my life, and sometimes it's hard Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes I feel like I, I take two steps forward and three steps back. And sometimes three steps forward and two steps back. But I want to live in that faith. And I want to make sure that I'm orienting my life toward Jesus Christ, a life lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I want to live my life uniting what God speaks to me with the word and also live my life uniting what God speaks to me with faith, with the word, with also with patience. Because then I know that we will see it fulfilled. And there are no guarantees. There are no promises about how things will work out 
but we can have confidence that we serve a God who loves us. We can have confidence that the Jesus who died on the cross for us loves us with all the passion of his being and that his heavenly Father will not spare us any good thing. We can have confidence that the Spirit of God is living inside of us. We can have confidence if we are followers of Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, now is the time to do it. It is simply in prayer, say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I completely surrender to you. I want to be your follower. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. Please forgive my sins and lead my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And any prayer like that, you just offer it up to the Lord right now and Jesus will honor his promise to help you be his follower. And he will change your life and he will speak new promises over your life, promises that he intends to fulfill. And if you're here and you realize, you know, that you've kind of wandered away from this, that you've been a bit lazy and you have not been uniting the word with faith, then now's the time to say, God, I am sorry. I am sorry. You know, sometimes God has me preach these sermons because he wants to give me a message. And certainly he's spoken that to me this week. You know, he's shown me how lazy I've been at not uniting the words he's promised, the promises he's spoken with faith in my own heart. And I repent of that. I repent of that. No matter how tough it is, I choose to believe. That's why I wrote the song, I Live for Jesus, that we sang earlier. It was my declaration. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to retreat. I'm going to push forward. I'm going to push forward in faith. And you need to make that commitment too, if you're a follower of Jesus, to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry where I've not united faith with the word you've spoken. But by the power of your spirit, enable me to do that now because I love you and I trust you. And Lord, that's the prayer that we all pray here in this moment, that you do this work in our hearts, you do this work in our lives, and you bring glory and honor to Jesus in and through us. We love you, we worship you, and we adore you. And we thank you for all of this. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.